For those of you uh, who don't know, my family uh, went through a whole uh, process of international adoption. Uh, we adopted our son from the country of Ukraine, and uh, it, it was quite an adventure for us. Um, and I suppose that it started in ways that probably were not familiar to those, the other families we knew who had gone through international adoption. Uh, my wife ran into this gal and, and she was, they got into this conversation, started telling her about this group of orphans that had been brought over on this visiting program from this orphanage in Ukraine. And she said, oh, that's great, that's great. A little bit later on, it just so happened that uh, as she was going to work and, and in the office, in comes another lady. And she starts telling her the same story about this same little group of orphans from this from Ukraine and the activities and all the stuff. And, and she's like, well, this is odd. This just so happens. And then, uh, you know, our church at the time was very involved in international adoptions. And so Mandy thought, well, I think I'll just go to where they're having their little meeting and uh, a little get-together of all the kids. All the homes would they'd come together, bring the kids together, yada, yada. And, uh, and just find out more information that I could give to the church, uh, uh, church family about this particular adoption program. And, and so she went, and she noticed this lady just kept looking at her. <laughs> Just kept looking at her while she was standing there, and she could tell the story a whole lot better than I can. And eventually, she uh, finally came over and started talking to Mandy and said, Hey, um, are you considering uh, international adoption? Uh, well, you know, a few years ago, we threw that idea around after our, our fourth daughter, maybe a little boy might be kind of fun to throw in this mix, right? And, uh, but no, not, no, not really. And she just kept looking at Mandy, and she goes, well, this little guy that we have at our house, we were an emergency fill-in for him because the family that was going to host him had to back out. And I've been praying and asking God to bring him a family. She said to Mandy, I, I think you might be that family. Just so happened. Well, they get to talking, and the next thing I know, we're at the Indianapolis Fairgrounds meeting this little guy. And our hearts, you know, drawn, all of us. Oh, and we have them for three days, because the, the two weeks was almost up when we had them those last few days. And loading them up onto the bus to go to the airport, we were all just really kind of sad. And I thought... Really? Three days? And the girls are like, Daddy, can we keep him? Can we keep him? I'm like, he isn't a puppy. <laughs> this is like a lifetime commitment, you guys. You know, I mean, whoa. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be costly for, for like the rest of our lives. And uh, we got to talking and praying. And Mandy and I were wrestling with it. And, and uh, in our times of prayer, the Lord just said, follow me. He said, follow me. So, okay, in the context of the conversation we were having with him, just take the next step. So that's what we did. Started getting more information. Started maybe go to a meeting. I don't remember all the specific details. Filling out some paperwork. And, and it became pretty clear in the process 
that there was a very, very high price attached to this decision. Uh, there was a high price relationally within our family. There was a high price to consider uh, emotionally for each and every one of us, including him. There was a, 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 a very high price uh, physically. The, fi the financial piece of this was just simply out of our means. It's not going to happen. And all those were mounting up, and we just continued to pray. And Jesus just kept telling us, just follow me. And I, I got to this place, and I said, Lord, I don't believe that you'd ask us to do this and just bury our family in debt to try to make this happen. And he, he said, I didn't ask you to take a loan. I just asked you to follow me. I said, okay. Took the next step and the next step, and it finally came to that time where there was... Uh, $3,000 was needed to kind of, you know, get this process going. And I was just saying, all right, here I am. I've been following. Here we are. And before that 3000 was due, uh, we get a card in the mail from some friends of ours on the East Coast who have no idea what's going on in our lives. And they had a little note in there and just said, hey, we were just praying, and God brought you to our heart and mind. And we're just so grateful for all that you're doing for the kingdom, serving in ministry. And we just, we just want to let you know we're behind you. We support you. And it was written on stationery that had a little pictures of the earth, little cartoon pictures all around it. You know, and in the context of an international adoption, that begins to take some significance. And, and in the envelope was a check from our friends. How much do you think was in that check? $3,000. And Jesus just said, keep following me. And the story continues with unbelievable, it just so happened moments one after the other after the other and, and and all the way up to the day they came down the escalator at the elevator and officially became a part of our family these coincidence moments uh, this one author here he he calls those god winks god winks where god's looking at you and he just kind of winks and you're going hey wait a minute was that god yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the tagline is how God speaks directly to you through the power of coincidence. One after the other after the other in that particular scenario and many others in our lives and many we have journeyed together with as a church family watching as he says, just follow me, just follow me. As we come to chapter 6 of the book of Esther today, we find this crescendo of God winks. These incredible moments over and over and over again of, quote, coincidence. And we walk away going, that isn't, that isn't a coincidence. We're seeing the providential hand of God at work. And it's amazing to see, and in chapter 6, it just kind of just goes off the charts, and you're like, whoa, I can't even keep up with all these God winks here in this particular chapter. 
C.S. Lewis, he calls the, he says this, that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous, inviting us in to a faith adventure. Isn't that great? Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Try to keep up with the number of them here as we read this chapter together, beginning in verse 1 of Esther 6. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. He just so happens he couldn't fall asleep. There's one. <laughs> so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign. There's two. Did you catch it? So it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed. There's three. Keep counting. Keep counting. There's a whole bunch of them. You may need to do this later. There's just too many. Uh, had exposed the plot of Big, Big Thana and Ch <laughs> Big Thana. All right, I love that. Okay, and uh, Teresh. Is there a little Thana? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. You remember this from earlier in our series. And Mordecai saved his life. Well, what reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Ooh, there's a couple of more. I hope you caught them. Who is that in the outer court? The king inquired. As it happened. Did you catch that one? It just so happened that the one in the court was Haman, the enemy of the Jews, who had conspired and plotted to get a, a national edict declared to kill all the Jews. Haman, he just happened to be there and he, uh, in the palace, and he came there to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole that he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? He didn't give Haman a chance to ask his question. There's another wink. And he asked the question in such a way that Mordecai's name was not mentioned. There's another one. I mean, there's a, there's a bazillion of them. You get the point at this point. Hey, uh, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? And Haman thought to himself, true to his character, who would the king wish to honor more than me? <laughs> I'm like the big deal, right? Who would the king wish to honor? So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. And they, they had kind of this idea that the, like the kingness would rub off on you if you had his robe on. You see, it was kind of a big deal. And led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you said for Mordecai the Jew. Wouldn't that have been great to see? His face? Ah, no. What's he going to do? Well, leave out nothing, the king said, that you've suggested. <laughs> so Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai, placed him on the king's own horse, 
led him through the city square shouting, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Do you think they talked a little bit when they went through the gates in the town? I'm just ordinary enough to think they did. And Mordecai going, hey, Haman, a little louder, buddy, a little louder. <laughs> what was that you were saying? The king, okay, hey, go a little slower. We really want this. Oh, that's just me. And I'm a youngest child, so you, you got to forgive me for that, all right? So, so afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate. Haman hurried home. He's dejected and completely humiliated. At which point, Haman told his wife, Zeresh, all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors. And he said, since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. And while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Oh my goodness, you can't hardly keep up with this story. And it starts off a little, a little sleepy, literally, or not so sleepy. The king, he was restless. And you're like, "Woo, that's a real head turner. This is exciting. Whoa, slow down. The king couldn't go to sleep. Uh, okay. And anybody here have, you know, maybe you have a sleepless night every once in a while? Yeah, I think. But it's just kind of like, okay, what's the big deal about that? You know, we all have a sleepless night. I like to read, and then I'm, I'm asleep, you know. But, you know, it's, it's just really kind of mundane. It's not that big of a deal. It's just kind of average stuff. And that is exactly why it's there. That's the point, that God can take and use the mundane to bring about the miraculous. You see, we spend too much of our lives with this idea that this is just kind of this, and you know, everybody's just kind of that, and, and our lenses, our spiritual attentiveness, that dial turns down and we miss it. One of the great, one of the many things I love about my wife is she doesn't miss these. And it's, a, and it's kind of this comment in the family, what are the odds? What are the odds? And we kind of tease her, but she says it all the time because she's attentive to the work of God in the mundane. He takes the mundane and he brings about the miraculous. And if we're not dialed in, we're not attentive, we will miss it. So what happened in the mundane of this moment? Oh, he just happened to ask for somebody to come read a book. Now, this king could have asked for a hundred things to happen to help him go to sleep in that moment. He chose to have somebody read a book. Oh, but it wasn't just any book, was it? It was the book of his reign, true to form. Let's read about how awesome I am. <laughs> somebody read that to me. He and Haman, I mean, they were right there together, those two. So he, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's it. So he, he starts reading, and he just happens, just so happens to pick up the record that recorded the event of four and a half years earlier when Mordecai saved his life and the king did nothing. Just so happened in that book that contained that story to turn to that exact story. You, you following this? 
God uses the mundane to bring about the miraculous. Oh, and the king, the king, what, what, what ever happened? What did we do for him? This would have been something king was not happy about because they were pretty passionate about rewarding loyalty in their culture. These kings, hey, man, someone's loyal to you. Man, you take care of them. Somebody's not, mm, up on the pole they go. It was, it was this kind of a thing. And, and here it was a huge swing and a miss on his part. Just so happened. He missed that four and a half years earlier to come to this point. See, there was an individual who was up at night, and probably many of them in Scripture, but the one I'm thinking of was a young boy named Samuel. And Eli the priest was raising him up, and he became a, a great prophet of God. And God was speaking to Samuel, and Eli said to him, Hey, listen, the next time you hear his voice, say, Speak, for your servant is listening. Let me propose to you and myself that this is the appropriate posture that we ought to do our lives. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I'll listen when it's this big, big thing happening. I'm going to listen in those moments that seem so mundane because you're sovereign over all. Your providential hand is at work. Listen. I'm listening. Lord, speak. Is that your posture these days? Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And this, this verse 3 here, we find, we find Mordecai having been forgotten for four and a half years. He risked his life to save the king's life. If, those, if Big Thana would have got a hold of him before he got, before he got, thank you, before he got to the king, they probably would have taken him out as well, wouldn't they? Not even a peep, not even a high five, not even a, hey, way to go, dude. Nothing. Nothing. You been there? You been in that space where you just are like, I am completely forgotten in all this deal. Uh, that, that place where there is a, a, a perceived or real absence of recognition. And in that place of an absence of recognition for Mordecai specifically here, we, we, could, we could understand the man saying, hey, you know what? I've been forgotten. God, wh wh what's going on? I'm kind of left out. I mean, the king, he's rewarding people all the time who are loyal and, and here, nothing. Not even a pat on the back. Is anybody listening? I've completely forgotten. Oh, let me tell you and encourage you here this morning. In the absence of recognition, never, ever believe the lie that you have been forgotten. Jesus, he told the crowd, he said, look, you see that, you see that sparrow over there, that little bird? Not one of them falls to the ground and my father not know about it. And, and, and the hairs on your head, some of us a little more than others, the Father knows how many are there. And the psalmist would write in Psalm 139, David is writing, and he says this, listen, God's thoughts towards you 
are more numerous than the grains of sand on the seashores. You are never forgotten. We may not get a call. We may not get the pat on the back. We may not get this. We may not get that. We may not have that, that, that longed for I love you, I don't know what it is in your world, but that feeling of forgottenness is one that all of us are going to have to face and we're all going to have to process. Eli made a decision. Mordecai made a decision. Eli, sorry about that. I guess I'm throwing you in the story this morning. Mordecai made a decision that he was going to trust. He was going to trust even though there was no recognition. I love this quote by Alistair Begg. Trust God in the matters of timing and apparent delay. God's delaying is the maturing of the time, the person, or both. Not something. I had to really chew on that this past week. Uh, trust God in the matters of timing. Remember those times in Scripture we say at just the right time in the full course of time over and over again in Scripture. So as God waits and as there is an apparent delay, we say, well, hold on a minute. The time is maturing to the purposes of God. And not only does the time mature in the waiting, so does the person who is waiting. Do you see? One, the other, or both. Embrace the reality of the time, timing and work, maturing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Mm. Verse 12, we, we run through, we come through this whole scene of, of uh, Haman's humiliation, all these flips of uh, realities. Uh, instead of a pole, Mordecai is actually going to be on the king's horse. And it is Haman who will be the one honoring him as they bring him through the city. It's, it's unbelievable to watch and we just say, wow, it just so happened. God wink, God wink, God wink, God wink through the whole thing. And it comes to this place where the event is over. Mordecai goes back to the palace gate Haman goes back to, to his house, humiliated and dejected. And I, and I was chewing on that. He went back to the palace gate. Why would Mordecai go back to the palace gate? And very simply, that was his assignment. That's where God put him. That's where he was supposed to be. And, and there is this principle in play as we journey with the Lord that we are faithful and present and attentive to the place where we are assigned in that moment until God decides to change our assignment. And there in that place of assignment, you know, we, you know he could have said, well, back to the old palace gate again. Yeah, in there, in that palace gate, what happened? In the palace gate, he overheard the plot to kill the king, save the king's life. 
in the palace gate. He was able to communicate through messengers with Queen Esther. In the palace gate, he was faithful to where God put him to handle the responsibilities with which God had given him. He was faithful where he was. Too often in life, we grow discontentment. We grow, I want, I want, I want. And God says, well, the bigger plan bigger plan needs you right here, right now. Nestor, for such a time as this, remain faithful until God changes your assignment. He's very purposeful about this. You understand, there is, there's that big story that's going on from, from Genesis to Revelation. We talk about this every week. It's the bigger story. God creating, people falling, sin, God's promise of a savior, of a rescuer, the arrival of Jesus, now the gathering of all those who would believe in him, culminating in his return one day in a new heaven and a new earth where God is with his people and righteousness reigns. This is the big story. And our story right now all through the providential hand of God is engaging that big story in ways that oftentimes are mysterious to us. And he says, just follow me. Bloom where you're planted. Watch what I do through where I've put you. Trust me. Trust me. It is an incredible thing to embrace the wonder of the providential hand of God. We don't ever see God's name mentioned once in this whole story, but we see his fingerprints on every word. Every day of your life, his fingerprints are there. Look, watch, embrace the reality of God at work. Jesus said, my father is always working. And if that's true, which I believe that it is, it means he is working at this moment right now. Are our eyes open? Are our hearts attentive? Our minds engaged? Mm. I think about odd things sometimes when I'm in my studies. But I had this scene and one of the commentators was, feeding this in my my thinking too what if you were if you were one like just an average citizen in susa right this is where all this is happening all this is going on and you just you just got done seeing this guy running (laughs) running through this this guy that you know he really doesn't like jewish people and he's saying hey you know on and on it goes you know this is who the king honors da 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 and and you're thinking to yourself Hey, you got your buddy at the at the coffee shop or your girlfriend. Hey, what's going on around here? This is kind of nuts. I mean, what was that all about? That whole horse thing and the the now doesn't Haman really not like the Jewish people? What's he doing saying, hey, you know, that's crazy. Now, didn't the, what's the king doing? Didn't, didn't he just sign this order that in like 10, 11 months, he's going to kill all the Jewish people? And it's like on all the telephone poles. 
And then you know, you're talking and you're going, this, yeah, this doesn't make sense. This is kind of crazy. Does anybody know what's going on? Is anybody in charge around here? Have you read that in any comment sections online these days? Is anybody in charge around here? What's going on? It's crazy, crazy, crazy. And our story, just as nutty, just as woe, as, as we may perceive our situations to be from time to time, and yet there was a person in this story who understood that there was something else happening and there was somebody else in charge and the irony of who it is is really shocking Haman's wife she knew isn't that something here's her words and his friends and advisors as well since Mordecai this man who was humiliated you is of Jewish birth you will never succeed in your plans against him. How in the world did she know that? The bigger story. God had promised a redeemer through the people, the Jewish people, the people of Israel. Jesus would come, and this is the promise, and Haman and nobody else is going to, to derail the plans, the purposes, and the promises of God. It just isn't happening. She knew it kind of think maybe you ought to give an old Haman a heads up before he decided to try to kill all of them, right? But here they are. It'll be fatal for you to continue opposing him. The big, bigger story is in play. The providential hand of God is at work. It won't be thwarted. The plans and the purposes of God, regardless of how crazy you and I might think, think things are, isn't even going to remotely be nudged off course. We need to understand these things. In the providential hand of God, there's a bigger plan in play. It's God's plan. There's a bigger person in charge, and then, of course, it's God.